The following sermon was recorded from the worship service of Iowa Falls Evangelical Free Church. May God use the reading and preaching of His Word to accomplish His purposes in your life. Thanks for listening. Well, if you have a Bible with you, I'd invite you to uh, open up to Second Peter chapter 2. And if you're in a spot where you can go get one, uh, I'd encourage you to do that they we will put some words on the screen as well um, but I think it's always good to follow along in your own Bible last week we started working through this short book in our don't miss this one series just going through some of the Bible's shortest books and we're spending three weeks in the short book in the New Testament of second Peter last week we said one sentence summary of this book would be this be sure you know the truth in a world of false teaching and ungodly living be sure you know the truth in a world of false teaching, and ungodly living. And last week, we then looked at chapter 1, where we saw two things that we can be sure of. That was this. We can know for sure that we're saved, and we can know for sure that the Bible is God's Word. Saw that in chapter 1. And so today, we turn to chapter 2. We'll see that while we can know for sure that the Bible really is the very Word of God, we also need to recognize and be aware and be warned that not everybody who says they're speaking for God is actually speaking for God. In fact, some of those who would claim to speak for God are in fact spreading destructive heresies. Today's message is just called this, Know What Leads to Destruction. The big idea for, I think, 2 Peter chapter 2 is this, Know that while false teaching and ungodly living are enticing, the end is destruction. False teaching and ungodly living are enticing, but the end is destruction. Part of the role that God has entrusted to elders and pastors in a church is to protect the flock among them. We want to take this seriously in our church, and part of protecting the flock includes warning against wolves, warning against false teachers. And Peter took this role seriously. And so he inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote every one of these words that I think we're going to find, again, incredibly applicable and relevant for us today. So, let's just pray. Ask God to help us as we open his word. God, I thank you for your help as I put a message together this week. I pray for your help as I seek to deliver that message now, and I pray for your help in all who are listening, to have uh, minds ready to be molded and hearts ready to be transformed by your word so that we can live as faithful disciples of Jesus in the week to come. Help us now and help us as we go in Jesus' name. Amen. So Second Peter chapter 2, three points, and if you uh, found online the the sermon outline, you would see those three points. The first one is this, the danger of false teachers. Verses 1 to 3, let's just look at those. I'm going to actually just read all of 1 to 3. Uh, well, no, l- let me do this. How about, how about I just read uh, a little bit at a time and make some comments as we go. So remember that chapter 1 ended with this kind of, you can be sure that the Bible is, Scripture is, really written by men who were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is trustworthy. But then it's immediately followed by this in chapter 2. Chapter 2 begins with the word but, right? But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be 
false teachers among you. And what kind of things will these false teachers do? Let's start reading. We see it there in verse 1. Who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. So there's the first two things we hear of false teachers doing. They're secretly bringing in destructive heresies. That is, false teachings that in the end will lead to destruction. But presumably they're allowed in because they don't seem so bad up front. They're even denying the master who bought them. It it seems that the people maybe at one point had claimed to be followers of Jesus, had claimed to be blood-bought followers of Jesus, but now they're even denying Jesus, showing they never were believers in the first place. Let's skip ahead. I'm going to come back to the end of verse 1 and the beginning of verse 2 there here in a moment, but let's skip ahead to verse 3 where we hear of another thing they do. Verse 3 says this, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their greed, they're going to exploit you with false words. And this has an effect on Christians. So so, so it's a warning. These people coming into the church, it's going to have an effect on you. What effect will it have? Well, let's go back up then to see what that effect will be. Verse 2, and many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of the truth will be blasphemed. Okay, so, so first there, many will follow their sensuality. They, they will teach Christians to not deny themselves, but to do whatever it takes to please themselves. You're free, do it. It's enjoyable, whatever it might be. But then it says, as, as, as Christians start following the ways of these false teachers, the way of the truth will be blasphemed. When people who claim to be Christians deliberately disobey God's word and live to please themselves, they give the way a bad name. And we can think of lots of contemporary examples. Probably the most recent big headline is Jerry Falwell Jr., uh, president of, of the largest evangelical university in the United States of America, um, being engaged in all sorts of, it seems, uh, ungodly behavior. But probably even more common than that, is people who claim to be Christians but but seem to be believing lies and living ungodly lives, just people that you go to work with, people that other people go to school with, identifying as Christians but living in a way that dishonors Jesus. This has an effect. It gives a bad name to the way, right? And we will be exploited. That's what it says in verse 3. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. You know what it means to be exploited? To be exploited means to kind of like get taken for a ride, to get ripped off, to get taken advantage of. That's what false teachers do. And the end result, well, let's look back at the end of verse 1. I skipped that part. Look at the end of verse 1. Bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And then at the end of verse 3. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. That's the end. It's the end of these things. And so, 
in thinking about this, I want to s pause for some application and, and be more specific because it's not as though uh, false teachers like walk around. They, they don't have like a store. Like you buy Christian t-shirts at a store, you know, like they don't go buy a t-shirt that says heretic on it and, and identify themselves, you know, like they've got, hey, it's me, I'm the heretic. Uh, they, they don't have t-shirts that say that. But there are many men and women who are preaching a false kind of gospel. And I think one of the most prevalent in our world today that's being bought into by so many, because there, there's parts of it that seem so attractive, is what would be called a prosperity gospel. It's an ugly twisting of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the basic idea is this, that God wants you to have your best life right now, that God would never want you to suffer. So if you have enough faith and say the right words, God is like obligated to bring you healing. God would never want you to deny yourself and live without. So, so if you just sow a seed into this particular ministry and give them some money, then God will cause you to prosper. That's the basic idea. Now there's, a, there's a, a, an artist, a rapper that I've listened to occasionally uh, who I really appreciate uh, named Shylin. And... Uh, uh, he has a song based on basically Second Peter chapter 2 called False Teachers, warning about the dangers of the prosperity gospel. And I will not wrap this for you, but I will read some of the lyrics from this for you, kind of quoting at length. And so I'm going to put them up on the screen too uh, so that you can follow along in that way because they go by relatively quickly. But I appreciate uh, his insight here. So here's what he wrote. So... There's nothing left for me to do except to speak to you in the spirit of Jude 3 and 2 Peter 2. And I know that some will label me a Pharisee because today the only heresy is saying that there's heresy. I'll dare to be specific and drop some clarity on the popularity of the gospel of prosperity. Turn off TBN. That channel's overrated. The pastors speak bogus statements, financially motivated. It's kind of like a pyramid scheme. Visualize heretics Christianizing the American dream. It's foul and deceitful. They're lying to people, teaching that camels squeeze through the eye of a needle. Ungodly and wicked, ask yourself, how can they, be, how can they not be convicted treating Jesus like a lottery ticket? And you're thinking, they're not the dangerous type because some of their statements are right. Well, that only proves that Satan comes as an angel of light. This teaching can't be, can't be believed without a cost. The lie is that you can achieve a crown without a cross. And I hear it all the time when they speak on the block. Even unbelievers are shocked how they're fleecing the flock. It should be obvious then. I'll explain why it's sin. Look in the Bible. It's 1 Timothy 6, 9, and 10. It talks about how the desire for riches has left many souls on fire and stitches mired in ditches. Tell me, who would teach you to pursue as a goal the very thing that the Bible says will ruin your soul? Yet, they're encouraging the love of money. To make it worse, they've exported this garbage into other countries. My heart breaks even now as I'm rhyming. You want to know what all false teachers have in common? It's called selfism, the fastest growing religion. They dress it up and call it Christian. Don't be deceived by this funny biz. If you come to Jesus for money, then he's not your God. Money is. Jesus is not a means to an end. The gospel is he came to redeem us from sin. And that is the message forever, I'll yell. If you're living your best life now, you're headed for 
hell. And then he starts going off on, he just names false teachers that we would be aware. You can go look and listen to the song on YouTube yourself. Joel Osteen, he says, is a false teacher. Creflo Dollar goes on down the list. Benny Hinn, T.D. Jakes, Joyce Meyer, Paula White. And, and these people have the influ- have influence over many people. Paula White is, is our president's like evangelical advisor. Uh, right, so so these people that teach this false gospel have the ear of all sorts of people, and many people are deceived by them. And Peter loves people enough to say, "I got to warn you about this. This this looks good, but it ends in destruction." And I, as your pastor, love you enough to say, I'm, Okay, I, I know I might step on your toes. You'd be like, well, I really like that guy's book. I really like how that guy talks. I really like how that guy smiles. She makes me feel good, right? All of this stuff, but I don't like sheep playing with wolves because sheep are pretty defenseless when it comes to having a wolf in the, wolf in the middle of the flock. So Peter's going to go on in verses 4 through 16 to explain a bit of what false teaching looks like, and how God's going to respond. And what we're going to see is this, the condemnation of the unrighteous and the preservation of the righteous. Let's look at verses 4 to 8, where we actually, he begins with three examples of of some kind of ungodly living that results from people believing a lie. They've believed not what God has said, but they've believed some kind of lie, and that's led to an ungodly living, and God then responds to that. And we're going to see three examples in verses 4 through 8. So let's just look at those three examples. Verse 4 first. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. So here that first example. It's about angels who sinned, angels who rebelled against God, and the result was God's response was casting them into hell, being held in gloomy darkness until the judgment. Example number two, verse five. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah a herald of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Right? So so what did God do? A a world filled with ungodly people? God brought a flood. But what did God also do? He preserved righteous Noah. Noah, a herald of righteousness. So he preserved this righteous man and seven others with him even though he was pouring out a flood on the ungodly. And then example number three in verses six to eight. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Okay? So in that case, Sodom and Gomorrah, a city with all sorts of ungodliness taking place within it, God condemned them as an example as to what would happen to the ungodly, but righteous Lot was rescued. Okay? So, so all three different examples showing the same thing and then verse 9 really sums it up God's plan for the present this is our memory verse for this week it was all these if 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 and now then 
the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. So, so, so there is the godly or righteous, those who are made righteous through faith in Jesus and continue to live according to that faith in Jesus. Those are rescued even from trials. Well, the unrighteous will experience punishment and judgment. Earlier we heard a bit of what false teaching looks like, and now we're going to have a lot more in these coming verses. So let's go ahead and look at 10 through the beginning of 12. In 10 it says this, And especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. So, so, so a couple of the, a couple of the, the initial um, maybe summary statements of, of what kind of false teaching and ungodly living he's seeing. He mentions these two things, indulging in the lust of defiling passion, again referring to the teaching really that you can sexually do whatever makes you feel good because you're free, as long as that's agreeable to someone else. And then finally, despising authority, like those who are unwilling to humble themselves under anyone. And then he goes on to explain what that looks like a little bit. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant. So this is a bit of a flavor of here's what false teaching looks like. I'm going to skip a little bit at the end of verse 12 and in the beginning of verse 13 because I'm going to come back to that in a moment, but I want to continue with this list that begins again in the middle of verse 13. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. This is a bit of what it looks like, enticing unsteady souls. And then I skipped a little bit at the end of 12 and 13 because that's where it talks about here's where this all ends up again. So let's go back and look at the end of 12 and beginning of 13 where it says, they will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. So all of this, and it might look like in the present time, oh, well, they're just getting away with it. All sorts of people are following them, buying their books and watching their shows. And, you know, like, like this is what's happening. But in the end, it leads to destruction. That's 
pretty clear as we've walked through this. You know, that one phrase that was especially challenging for me as I was walking through this was the phrase in verse 14 saying they entice unsteady souls. There's a lot of ways I could go with application for this, but I just want to directly address those who are actively parenting kids in your home. Most of us would say the world that our kids are growing up in is not the world we grew up in, even if we didn't grow up in the world too long ago. Most people would say what's happened in the very recent past is what many would call a moral revolution. It's a guy named Theo Hobson, and he writes, there are three things necessary for a total moral reversal or revolution to take place. One is, what was condemned must be celebrated, and what was celebrated must now be condemned. And those who will not join in the celebration will themselves be condemned. There's dangerous forms of false teaching that our kids are being fed in various forms. It might be coming in school. It might be coming in what they read. It's almost certainly coming through what they're watching. And there's three areas mentioned here in 2 Peter 2 that I think are especially relevant today. We need to know this, parents. If we are not actively teaching our kids the truth in these areas, then they're going to be taught by other people. And the results are potentially destructive. So three areas that Peter mentions that I think are very relevant for today. One, the area of sexual morality. Parents, we, we cannot afford to leave the sexual education of our children to the schools, to their peers, or to whatever kind of dangerous stuff they can find on a Google. Our kids will be getting an education on sexual morality. And the question is, who are they going to be getting it from? Number two, greed. It said here in Second Peter 2, they have hearts trained in greed. It is really hard to live in America and not become greedy. Parents, are we teaching our kids by the way that we live? By the way that we talk about the dangers of the love of money? Or instead, are we feeding our kids greed by giving them expensive gadgets because everybody else has one? We need to be careful, parents. Third, in Second Peter 2, he talks about despising authority. The lack of authority, of respect for authority that ends in things like riots and looting and the shooting of two sheriff's deputies begins to be learned at home. When parents fail to expect their kids to obey right away when they're three years old, when parents abuse their authority, causing their kids to despise authority, when parents teach their kids that the rules don't really apply to them, Parents, we cannot let the world be the primary teachers of our kids. That's going to lead to destruction. Let's be more intentional and active in teaching our kids. This, this false teaching that he's talking about, it's not just found on one station on TV with some prosperity preachers. It's found everywhere. We need to be alert. And then this final warning in verses 17 to 22. The last point is this, don't be enticed and don't get entangled. Don't be enticed and don't get entangled. 
verses 17 to 19. Let's just read that. These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. They, they pull you in. They're enticing. That's what enticing means, to get kind of pulled in, to get lured in. Like, this is the good life. It's a life of pleasure. Stop living with all of those burdensome rules that you just live and be free. But look at how Peter says it. Verse 18, I think. No, verse 19. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. It's like a prisoner in a cell promising freedom to the warden if he would just come and join him inside. Don't fall for it. Don't be enticed. It's a trap. Be careful. Verses 20 to 22, they're going to tell us that it's pretty easy to get entangled. Once you're in, it's going to be hard to get out. Verse 20, for if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, right? That, that's the hope. The hope, the only way of, of, of avoiding all of this, of being, being delivered from this, is through knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior. If you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, you're going to get enticed by, lured in by, and tangled up in all kinds of false teaching. Step number one in protecting yourself from this is putting your trust, coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandments delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returned to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. There's a warning to those who would hear the good news of the gospel. Maybe they would even seem to come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, but it's easy for them to get entangled in their own ways. I think back to the parable that Jesus told when a seed is sown among thorns and it grows up, and here's what Jesus said, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. It looks like they're saved, but the fact that they turned away shows that they never really were. So what's some application for us in this? This idea, this warning, don't get enticed and don't get entangled. Don't get lured in and don't get all tangled up. Last weekend, we finally had to say goodbye to our 20-year-old Ford Taurus. That thing had been with us for 14 years. We took Annika, who's going to turn 14 here in a couple of weeks, uh, home from the hospital in that car. We knew that car's days were numbered, so we'd been doing some looking around on the Internet, and there were two cars that caught our eye, lured us in. 
those cars were at two different dealerships, so I made an appointment to see one of the cars at 9.30 and another one at 11. And upon entering the first dealership, we were greeted by smiles, of course, and made to feel very comfortable as we sat down with the dealer who I had been emailing. We had come to see a 2012 Toyota Camry, the car that had lured us in with the pictures and description on the Internet. But we weren't there one minute, and he was trying to to sell us a 2017 certified used car that still came with some type of warranty, saying, I know it's a little more than you wanted to spend, he said. We were lured in, and now that we were lured in, they wanted to get us tangled up. Ravi Zacharias, who died earlier this year, once said this, Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Profound. That's the way sin works, isn't it? Something shiny lures us in, and once we're in, we're tempted to take a step further. Just one more click on this image, maybe just buying this one more thing. And sin keeps us longer than we want to stay. <clears throat> he showed us these 2017 cars, maybe thinking, I know it's a little more than you want to spend, but wouldn't you want to take a look at those too? We st- stood firm and said, no, can we just look at that eight-year-old Camry instead? We looked at it. We drove it. We liked it. Told him thank you and said, well, we have an appointment to look at a different car at a different dealership. But they didn't want us to leave. So the price came down. We said, well, thank you, but we're still going to go look at that other vehicle. And soon the sales manager came over to talk to us. And he just flat out said, what would it take to get you to not even go look at that other car? I said, well, we're going to go look at the other car. <laughs> and so we did that. But sin's like that, isn't it? This is good. Don't you want this? It would feel good, wouldn't it? This would make you happy, won't it? Don't, don't go anywhere else. Sin takes you further than you want to go, keeps you longer than you want to stay, and costs you more than you want to pay. I've gotten away with this one before, you think. Maybe at work, if I just cut this one more, I mean, it's a gray area anyway. If I just kind of cut this corner, nobody's ever going to find out. Gotten away with it. Maybe it's a little bit shady, but, right? By the way, we did look at the other car, and we eventually got a good price on the 2012 Camry, so we have a different car now. So wave at me, because that's the thing. When you get a different car, which I haven't done for a really long time, people don't recognize you in town anymore. So it's like, gold. Uh, Wave at me when you see me. I'll wave at you. But here's the point. The false teaching that leads to ungodly living is really enticing. It lures us in. And once we're in, it's easy to get entangled. So don't even take a step. Big idea of 2 Peter 2, I said, was this. Let's know that while false teaching and ungodly living are enticing, the end is destruction. Let's be careful not to get lured in and tangled up. Let's not dabble in the prosperity gospel or any other kind of false teaching that ultimately leads to destruction. And then let's be sure that we do what we can as parents, as Awana volunteers, as Sunday school teachers, as youth group leaders, as grandparents, As fellow church members, we need to do what we can in a world filled with false teaching that we would teach our kids the truth 
so that they aren't unsteady souls that are enticed and lured in by all kinds of subtle false teaching that will lead them to sin, that will take them further than they want to go and keep them longer than they want to stay and cost them more than they want to pay. Let's pray. Oh God, would you protect us? Uh, Help us not to live with fear because greater is he who lives in us than the one who is in the world. I thank you that that's one of the works of the Holy Spirit in us is to help us to be discerning. We also know that you give us many commands in Scripture to be sober-minded and to be watchful. In 1 Peter, uh, the book right before this one, he says, Be sober-minded and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. God, help us to not be so naive. And if we're not going to be naive, we've got to be more grounded in the truth. So I pray that you would help us, those of us who, who know Jesus as Lord and Savior, to dig deeper into the Word of God, that we might be, and ask, ask, ask for your help, that we would just be discerning, and then that we would then be faithful disciple-makers of the next generation as well, helping protect them from being enticed, from being lured in, by, by subtle false teachings all around them about all kinds of different things. Help us to help them to be grounded in the truth, that they might believe the truth, know Jesus as Lord and Savior, be saved and live forever, uh, seeking to, to live godly lives with the help of your Holy Spirit. God, this seems, uh, certainly, if we're to do this on our own, it's impossible. Uh, but I thank you that we're not doing it on our own. I thank you that your spirit lives in us, and I pray that you would help us with that this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to this message from Iowa Falls Evangelical Free Church. More information about Iowa Falls Evangelical Free Church can be found at our website, www.ifefree.org, or you can call the church office at 641 641- Six four eight three three zero five. That's www.ifefree.org or six four one six four eight three three zero five.